Hey, podcast fans, this is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. The Dirt Podcast is brought to you with support from the Archaeology Division of the American Anthropological Association. Welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber. And this week, we have a real treat for you listeners. An inspiring and fascinating interview with very special guest Lynn Engelbert, a handler with the Institute for Canine Forensics. We're talking dog detectives. Dog detectives. Dog detectives! The Institute for Canine Forensics, the ICF, was established in 1997 and is still located in the Bay Area, right here in California. They work with highly trained and certified dog and handler teams to locate burials of prehistoric ancestors and historic cemeteries, and even more than that. So I sat down with Lynn over, over Skype to talk about her work with ICF, her own background, and her favorite dog stories. So thank you to Lynn for your work and your stories. Now let's hear about some very good boys and girls. So thank you very, very much, Lynn, for uh, talking to us about the ICF and what you do. Um, so we've, we'll just jump right into some questions. Um, first of all, what exactly do handlers and dogs do at ICF? We are the Institute for Canine Forensics, mm -hmm. which um, is an organization that does historic and prehistoric human remains detection. We have a sister organization that works with law enforcement, and we specialize in cold cases. Oh, cool. In that case, so yeah. With, with the same dogs or with a canine? With the same no, with the same dogs. Like I said, we specialize in cold cases, so mm -hmm. they can be 10, 15, 20. I think the oldest one we worked was 47 years. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing. And, you know, normally they are clandestine burials, which would be even, you know, more shallow and easier for the dogs to find. Right. Uh, historic, uh, the prehistoric are also very shallow, but... Um, it, it's it's the same thing. I dead is dead. <laughs> that's and, true. Uh, that's very true. So the way we start out, some people like to start out with puppies. Other people like to start out with young dogs, you know, 10, 15, 20 months old, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, we start off, we used to start off using, you know, uh, decomposing human scent. And figuring, you know, that would be easier. It would be a great way to start the dogs. But then we would have to drop the threshold down to find the older bones and stuff like that. Right. Less now, scent, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Now we start with um, the old bones and old teeth to begin with. Whoa. And we get our scent sources from the osteological supply houses that, that have educational materials, you know, right. and, and only use human. Right. So, and we tell these people, these osteological supply houses, the bone room and, and skull, or skulls and limited, I think is the other one. Mm -hmm. uh, they know that we're dog handlers. We don't care what the bones look like. So we'll take the broken ones. We'll take the ones that are kind of corroded. We don't really, really care as long as they 
for sure human. Right. And so and, how old are these specimens typically? Oh, uh, normally they, they used to come from China and India. I don't know that they're able to get them from there anymore. But they'll they'll be a hundred years old. Oh, okay, so, so okay, that's much older than I was thinking. Bones. Right. Yeah, they're old dry bones. And the dogs can I get mean, a scent I, from that. Oh yeah, we never lose our smell, which is kind of crazy, but it's Whoa. true. Unless if if the remains are protected, if they're buried, um, they hang around for thousands of years. Oh man. The scent, uh, we start out by just putting the bones out, and dogs are naturally curious. So the puppies or even the young dogs will go over and they'll sniff it, and we'll give them a marker word, and they get a reward. Okay. It's either a, it's either a tug toy or food, whatever the dog is more prone to, to wanting. And pretty soon, it doesn't take them very long to figure out, ooh, if I go smell this, I get a treat. <laughs> I get a treat. I get a tug. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're pretty smart. So once the, the young dogs have learned that sniffing old bones equals reward, then what? Then we start upping the ante. We'll start making them a little bit more difficult to find. And, you know, we just, we, we train three days a week and for three to four hours. Yeah. So once the dogs learn the marker word, then you can, they know that that marker word means go find the bones. It's not just like. The marker word comes after they have found the bone. Oh, okay. So, so they, there's a separate command, like go find something. Yeah. We'll start off. Everybody uses something a little different. Um, you know, I, I use just a kind of a word that is, you know, I just go, Psh. uh, oh. some people say go to work. Some people have a whistle. That's the indication that the dog is to go to work. Okay. Okay. Normally the dogs are way ahead of us. I tell people that what we say to the dogs is probably more for us than it is to them because the dogs love their jobs and they go out, they know when they're going to go to work. And, and they get excited. They get excited. They're, they can't wait. Yeah. They start to dance at the door. As soon as you put on, you know, <laughs> your shoes off there at the dance, at the door going, oh, we get to go search, we get to go search. So they... Um, they they normally know ahead of us what it is that uh, we're going to so go cool. do and and yeah they're already on the road before out searching before we even get to go or whistle or whatever it is that we do, um, but it's normally just a very quiet you know it, it's not I just saw your cat's tail normally mm-hmm. it's very quiet and and just a calm because our dogs are trained to work very slowly and very methodically, so we send them out and once they. Uh, are are out searching then we're just hopefully the handler keeps quiet you know if you're constantly talking to your dog you're disturbing their concentration so mm-hmm. my my mantra is shut up and let your dog work all right <laughs> and after we've given them you know once they're imprinted once that scent is on their they're in their brain and they know that this is what we're doing then we can start upping the training. We'll start hiding things a little bit. You know, we'll keep them down low. We'll hide them a little bit more. And then we'll start hiding them more and more. And then we take them to old cemeteries. We've got cemeteries around here that have burials from the 1800s. So that's how we start, you know, getting them to work with burials. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we just go from there. But they also find cremains. Uh, some, wow. of, some so, of the um, cultures 
in Southern California a thousand years ago practiced cremation. Mm-hmm. So they have to be able to find cremains as well. Is that a different scent to teach them, the, the burn scent, or does it still have that human dead. scent about it? Dead is dead. They still, all, all right. Yep. Yep. They, um, I, you know, we just kind of started experimenting one time with some cremains that someone had given us. And sure enough, they're, you know, the dogs are going, it's right here. Wow. So is there a time limit on a dog's ability to sniff out human remains? So what's, what's the oldest stuff you've worked with? Our dogs, um, the oldest stuff we have worked with as far as intact remains, we have, um, estimated seven to 9,000 years old. Oh, wow. And that came from a fairly recent case. And it was uh, our case. It was a project. We were asked to go over. They were getting ready to um, expand a freeway. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and where they were going to put one of the uh, the supports, they called it a bent, where they were going to put one of the supports, they had te- dug a test pit. And sure as, you know. Oops. Yeah, oops. There you go. They had found, um, found a set of remains. Mm-hmm. So they called us in. And um, this was a project, and you'll have to pardon my language, but my, we ended up calling it the shitty project. Um, oh. The reason being is it was right next to an old homeless camp. So okay. you know you know that, that you know they didn't have bathrooms, so they used wherever uh, it was close. Being literal, I see. And I see. it was right next to this big apartment complex, and there was a big hole in the chain-link fence. And people would bring their dogs out there and let them do their business. And they wouldn't clean up after their dogs. And the cats were out there doing their business. So you can understand why we called the project what it was. Um, Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Got our dogs in there. And, you know, we figured this is going to be a slam dunk. The dogs are going to, we know there's a burial there. The dogs are going to go right over and go, yay, there's a burial right here. An alert. Didn't happen. Uh, oh dear. Oh dear. That's what we were thinking. <laughs> and, you know, they were distracted by the smells around there. When they finally got to work, they still didn't alert on the known burial. They alerted. Really? They alerted like three feet away from it. And then they went into another direction and alerted about three, four feet away from it. And they must have had five or six alerts. And then they finally came back and go, oh, yeah, there's one right here, too. So we walked away from that project. Think, geez, do we even charge them? This was just such a <clears throat> project. Uh, we got a call about six months later saying, Could you bring the dogs back? Because they were about 95% right. We have found six burials so far. No way. It was that was just a crazy, crazy project. Oh, that must have felt pretty great. Though, uh, that it part. did. It was kind of like, there we go. Uh. <laughs> yeah. But that was probably one of our most interesting projects. And they were looking at one one of the burials and they estimated that to be approximately nine, seven to 9,000 years old. Wow. It was, it was a so crazy, crazy project. Um, I have, I have a question from a listener. Um, could dogs find fossils? Do you think? Oh, cause that's, that's past the point where dead is dead. It's like dead is dead, but then also mineralized. I was going to say dead is dead. Then they're made into stone. Uh, you know what? Right. We've never tried. It's always been on my mind, and and uh, it must have a, a scent, right? I don't know. 
I don't know the answer to that. We need to find somebody out there who's interested, who has access to fossils, and let us come in and work them. That happened with us with mummies. Oh, tell me about that. You know, we got a question saying, can your dogs find mummies? And I'm going, I have no clue. After the mummification process with all the resins and stuff like that that they use, had no idea. And we were But able could you to- teach a dog that particular like composite scent? We did not have to teach them. Really? Nope. No. Are the Oh, tell me what happened. Well, we had a forensic anthropologist who we brought in to be an independent observer. And she said, I knew this was going to be a success the minute the dog walked through the door. The dog had scent, went running down into the area where the mummy was kept. And there were several in different areas. Went running down in there, worked around till they found where the mummy was, and gave us a full-blown alert. So the was it, And this was in, inside somewhere? It, was, where, in a, where it was, was in a building. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, the dog just, gosh, poof, there, there it was. So, yeah, that was amazing. And we had, I think it was five or six dogs that worked that. And um, every single one of them went, yep, they're right here, right here, right (laughs) over here. That's amazing. So how many dogs total do you currently have working at the Institute? We have 12 dogs. Mm-hmm. that are working. Uh, some of the handlers have two dogs, and um, I was going to say two of those are not certified yet, but one just certified. So one that's in training and uh, 11 working dogs. So this is probably a, the most that we pack. have had. It is a pack. It is absolutely a pack. And so you started off the, the Institute itself was established in 1997. Right. Um, when did you were you a part of it from the very beginning or did you hop on a bit later or? Uh, I was doing human remains detection work when this happened. I was doing, you know, mostly law enforcement stuff. So I was training for that. And um, when, when it was accidentally discovered that our dogs would alert on old burials and that was the beginning. And that was right around 1995. One of our dogs kept wanting to cross a fence into this area that we were training, and there was an old cemetery there from the 1906 earthquake and perished there. So we knew the age of the burials, and at that particular point in time, that was like 90 years ago. That must have been so interesting. It was fascinating. The dogs were actually, the dog was actually alerting on holes, rodent holes right right adjacent to the burials. Okay. And, you know, if a rodent goes through a burial and comes up, scent like fluids travels the path of least resistance. Right. And it comes up through the rodent holes. Oh, it's like a delicious <laughs> vent of, of grave smell. Absolutely. Mm. And, you mm. know, the handler's going, hmm, I think my dog is alerting on, on old burials. So that just kind of started the whole thing, and it just went from there. And then we had, um, we were working with a forensic anthropologist, a couple of archaeologists, and um, they, you know, you get people going, what do you mean that dogs can find things that are thousands of years old? And one from Santa Clara University, um, Russ Skronik, they were working a project out in... um, in a, a local t- city near us, 
And he called us and he goes, I want you guys to come out. We know we're finding burials. I want you guys to come out. We're going to see what the dogs can do. That was our first paid job. We got a $100 check each for that. So went out there and it was a construction project. And they were finding numerous burials. They knew where they were. And the dogs went out there and said, there's one here, there's one here, there's one here. That must have been such a cool proof of concept. Oh, my God. It was a goosebump moment. It really was. Ugh. Truly, truly was a goosebump moment. And it's just kind of blossomed from there. So we're pretty busy. Yeah. And, and speaking of, of uh, well, well, first, um, can you tell me a little bit about your background? Because you said that you were, you were starting to, you were doing work in uh, human remains recovery before you started with, with the Institute. So what, what's your background? My background was search and rescue. And that's where I started. I actually started off um, at work as an emergency responder. And then I joined Civil Air Patrol because my daughter was there and she asked me to, she wanted me to be part of it. Then I went to work at NASA and we had a rescue team out there and we did uh, disaster search and rescue and started working with the FEMA Urban Search and Rescue Program, which is... um, 28 very highly, highly trained task forces around the country. Mm-hmm. So I was a rescue specialist at that point. And I got... So you, working with dogs, yeah? No, I or, wasn't Oh, just... No. Uh, no, okay. So you were you were the search and rescue team. Yeah, I was on the search yes. and rescue team as a rescue specialist, a disaster search and rescue team. So going, crawling mm-hmm. into confined spaces. So I decided at that particular point in time, I was getting a little too old to be wanting to drag a 90-pound jackhammer through a confined space and use it at the other end, but I still wanted to be in the front lines. And I watched a lady by the name of Shirley Hammond um, do a demonstration with her disaster search dog. They would go into rubble and find somebody who was trapped and stand there and bark and bark and bark until you know we could mark it and then the rescue specialist could come in and make the the recovery. Uh, So these were live people that I had started with. Right. And then I decided I I really wanted to get into the human remains end of it. Mm -hmm. So with that dog that I had at that particular point in time, her name was Lucy. um, She had gotten a soft tissue injury and couldn't get up on the rubble for six months. And this dog needed a job. (laughs) <laughs> so I took her out with the human remains detection folks, and um, that's when I started working her. She certified in six months. She found two murder victims and a drowning victim and put one bad guy away forever. And for, Lucy, yeah, what a good girl. She had, a, she had a better, and she worked the Oklahoma City bombing and the World Trade Center. Oh, wow. Lucy had a better, probably a better career than most human beings. Thank you both for your service. My My goodness. She was an amazing dog. And then I got my sweep, and he just did live find in disaster. And when it was coming time for him to retire, I decided that I did not want to do live find anymore and started Mm -hmm. doing human remains detection with with Piper. I got Piper at uh, that point and um, got her. She was about a year old, and I started training her, and 11 months later, she was a historical human remains detection dog. Wow. So that's that's kind of my background in a nutshell. 
That's so amazing. Speaking of historic human remains, you recently, a couple years ago, worked on a project to try and identify maybe the the spot where Amelia Earhart may have may have died. Can you tell me a little bit about that project? I can. Um, we had been working on this project. Someone had come to us, you know, five years before it happened. So let me see. That was in 2017. So in 2012. Somebody had come to us and said, you know, would you be interested if we, you know, take dogs? Would you be interested in, you know, participating? And the answer was, yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) And they kept talking about it and talking about it. And it was to the point where it's like, this is never going to happen. It's all talk, yada, yada. And um, Uh all of a sudden, the end of 2016, they said, "Mm, this is going to happen. So we ended up sending four teams, mm-hmm. and, uh, all of them border collies, and sending them down. It turned out to be, it was with Tiger, which is the international group. The International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery. Thank you. Thank you. I always have to Spell. think about that a little bit. But so well, it's it a Tiger. weird spelling of Tiger. Yeah, right. It's Tiger. Yeah, right. And uh, so with Tiger and with... National Geographic, who actually ended up sponsoring the dogs, uh, we went down. Oh, that's so great! Yeah, we went down. We flew into Fiji. They had never flown dogs in cabin, and we will not put our dogs in cargo. Uh, most dogs are safe, but we just could not take a chance on one of the few dogs that we have. Oh yeah, no, absolutely, I understand. Accident. I'm just trying yeah. to trying to uh, imagine. A, a ca- actually, that sounds like a great plane ride. Honestly, a cabin full of dogs. Yeah, anyway. oh, yeah, business class. We had four dogs in business class. And uh, uh, Fiji Airways dream. was amazing <laughs> with us. Fiji Airways was just absolutely amazing with us. Not sponsored, they, but uh, hey, Fiji Airways. <laughs> yeah. Well, absolutely. <laughs> they had to. They'd never done this before. So they had to mm-hmm. get a special waiver from their version of mm. our FAA. And mm-hmm. in two weeks, their Civil Aviation Authority had authorized a waiver. I can't imagine our FAA doing anything like that in two weeks. But they no did comment. It. So, yeah, so we flew into Fiji and um, got on a ship, sailed for five days on the ship, got to this little tiny island, an atoll, actually, in the middle of the Pacific. Mm-hmm. And when we got there, the first thing they wanted to do is to see if the dogs could find human remains, human burials, um, in this tropical atmosphere, it was hot, it was humid, and they had some known burials from when the island had been colonized. And the dogs got in there and went, Yep, right here, right here, and right here. So, oh, well, good they puppies, knew that this could happen. And, uh, and, right, and, uh, and presumably, the, the colonization burials were quite a bit older than the the uh, the Earhart. Actually, uh, they weren't. Would have been. They, they weren't. No? Because when in 1937, when Amelia Earhart uh, was lost, uh, the, col- the island was not colonized. They did oh. not colonize it until, I want to say 1939, 1940. Oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. So the British had decided to colonize it and to make a coconut plantation out of it. Mm. And... Uh, so that's what they did. And at one point in time, um, some of the, the 
the, the colonists had found, down at the southeast end of the island, had found human bones. And they, you know, the administrator went down, collected more bones, because it was bad juju for the colonists to touch them. And they sent them off to Fiji, and then World War II hit the South Pacific, and the bones were lost and have not been seen since. Mm. But the administrator, the British administrator on the island, had documented this area, and Tiger's been working out there for I 30 see. years, looking, you know, trying to find this area. And they thought they had found it, and this is what we were going to go search with the dogs, was that, that particular area. Right. The um, the dogs got into air, into the area, and it was pretty obvious that they had found human scent in that area. And uh, I can't talk about anything else because we're still on oh, yeah. your contractual obligation. Yes, anything, with, with National anything that you are unable to disclose is totally yeah, fine. Yeah. So you know they they're off studying stuff and. Um, well, oh, it's very interesting. Exciting, yeah, it is. It was very, very exciting. Uh, one of the things that was fascinating about that is the fact that um, two of the teams went to the north end of the island, while the other two went down to the south end of the island. Mm-hmm. And two of the teams, we were looking for a possible cairn where Fred Noonan might have been buried. Uh, mm-hmm. Never did find and that, that, that cairn. Earhart's navigator. That was her navigator, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, never found that Karen again, but while we were sitting resting for a little while um, on a downed coconut palm, and there was this huge field of, of blackened coral, not black coral, but blackened that had you know like lichen and stuff like that on it. And my mm-hmm. dog got up and she went over and she put herself to work. Remember, I told you that they're they're gone before we even get to say our search word. Well, she right. had put herself to work, and she started to alert in this blackened field of coral. And I'm going, ooh, okay, what's going on here? It was what really you doing? interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I went over, and if you look really carefully, here's one slab, a bright slab of coral. And about six feet down, there's a smaller slab of coral. And then she started going forward, and I had another had the other dog come in, and I said, "Just send Marcy over there." And Marcy started alerting, and we pulled the the archaeologists in, and our Fijian um, crew that was with us went, "Oh, those are burials. That's a headstone. That's a footstone." Oh, so what the a next good girl. day, I know. <laughs> So we took some pictures, and the next day we sent um, they they sent a another archaeologist in whose expertise was in ancient Pine, um, Polynesian and Micronesian sites, and mm-hmm. she came back and she said, "There's no evidence that these are colonial burials, so they have to be you know the if you know they could be 300 to 600 years old." Mm-hmm. Wow. And, They've been working out there for 30 years and nobody had seen that. So it was it was pretty fascinating. That that Oh gosh, that that's was, so cool. Another goosebump moment, you know. It was pretty it amazing. It seems like you must have a lot of those. Oh god, yes. So it's it, <laughs> Sometimes it's it just boggles my mind. It, it amazes me what dogs can do every time they go out. 
Yeah. So, well, on that <coughs> note, is there anything that you you would like people to know about, you know, uh, are there misconceptions about what search recovery or uh, human remains recovery dogs and their handlers do? Or are there things that you would like people to know about your work? Are there things that you, you want to share? Dogs are amazing animals. And I believe, truly, truly in my heart, believe that we have only scratched the surface of what dogs can do. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I go out and I ask my dog to do something, she goes, oh, yeah, I can do that. What else? Just because we as humans can't grasp something in our minds doesn't mean that the dog can't do it. Um, hmm. it's, <laughs> it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, we have naysayers out there. We absolutely do. Really? And huh. we don't get a lot of truthing, if you will. <clears throat> when we do get truthing, it's pretty spectacular. And we've had everything from the burials that I was telling you about, whether expanding a freeway to accidental burials. We had one case in um, up in the Sierra foothills where this man was trying to sell a property and there was you know, oral history that said that there was a, uh, a pioneer burial Oh. Small, you know, Pioneer Cemetery there. <clears throat> and the potential buyer said that he wanted to have dogs brought in to see if there was. Right. So we had teams go up there and they, all four teams, alerted in the very same area. And so the buyer backed out, which made the seller not a happy camper. Whoops. And he said, GD dogs can't, you know, can't tell me that there's burials over there. So he got his backhoe out. And he stopped. Oh, his sir. Hmm. Oh, no, sir. <laughs> no. He stopped working with his backhoe when he hit a redwood coffin. So that was kind of an accidental true thing. And, and we get, you know, both every now and then. Yikes. So, yeah. He, again, that, oh, that's, that's egg made, on his face. Well, that one made the papers. So. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, people just like I say, just because you don't, you can't grasp it in your mind doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we know for a fact that that drug dogs testimony um, is accepted in a court of law. We know for a fact that dogs can find explosives. They're using right. dogs to find cancer. There's a study at the yeah, University of Pennsylvania where they're studying, you know, can, dogs can find ovarian cancer. The answer is yes. Bladder cancer, yes. We had one of our dogs, remember I mentioned Shirley Hammond earlier, and she had a big 95-pound Doberman. <laughs> and Shirley would go in every three months because she'd get these little skin cancers. And she would go into the dermatologist. And at one point in time, she said, Sonny keeps checking this spot on my cheek. And she goes, he's just bugging me to death because he just pokes at it and he sniffs at it. And she goes, could you check there? And the dermatologist says, well, I don't see anything, but you know, let's, let's take a little biopsy. They did. It was in really, really, really early stage of this skin cancer. Oh, good dog. So from that point on, she would go in and she said, Sonny would have to check here. Sonny says you should check over here. And he was right. <laughs> wow. So, you know, and he'd never been trained for that. This he did on his own. It was something different. So you, you've mentioned a few different breeds of dogs now. Have you found that there are breeds that are particularly good at this type of thing, or is it just a dog characteristic? No, it's not just a dog characteristic. Uh, we use hunting and herding breeds for the most oh, part. That makes sense. Um, 
a lot of us use border collies. We've got some Labradors in our team. We've got German Shepherds. We have a Malinois. And we have a Jack Russell Terrier. You met Asha. So we have Rue. Um, we have Kaylee. We have um, Bailey. Uh, you met Asha. There's Jasper and Jet and Piper, of course. And then some of these, the, the dogs that do law enforcement are Annie, who is a Malinois. She is just a big sweetheart that is incredibly hard to live with because that you want to see an active dog. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She needs work. Yep. Yeah. And then we have um, Cato, who is, um, he's a big black shepherd who is absolutely gorgeous. And she just got another German. Shepherd named Cedar, who is just adorable, a little female who's just adorable. We have Marcy who's retiring. That's about oh no, we have Echo and I think um, I think, it, I, think it, I might have met oh, Echo. Echo, yeah, a little yellow lab. Yep. Yeah, she's a that was who it was. She's really, really good. So they Oh, good girl. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, I love dogs so much. I'm gonna I'm gonna cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, this is amazing. It, I I didn't know most of this. Yeah. And uh, your work and your background is amazing. And the, the what the Institute does is amazing. Do you have anything that you would like to plug as like, do you have ongoing outreach stuff that you do or, or anything like that? Cause we'll, we're happy to plug it on the podcast and we'll also shout out anything you like in our social media. Well, one of the things that we've been doing recently that is just absolutely amazing and it's kind of morphing off into a separate organization is we have been doing cremains recovery after wildfires. And the cremains uh, recovery. There, there were quite a few this past year. Oh, heavens. We had the campfire, which is, was yeah, just was devastating. Absolute mega fire. It was crazy. Uh, PBS just had a. Uh, an hour series and an hour special on, on mega fires. Um, <laughs> these are the previously cremated remains that for some one reason or another, people keep in their homes. They either, you know, just can't part with them. Uh, they bring them comfort. They haven't decided where to scatter them yet. Um, mm -hmm. You know, mom passed away and they're waiting until dad passes away because they want to be scattered, you know, mingled and scattered together um, mm -hmm. for various reasons. Um, and then their houses burn down. And these people are devastated at the thought that oh, their loved ones within burned. Yeah. Oh, gosh. They're devastated that. These cremains, when they clean up the debris of the home, are going to end up in a toxic dump. And that's devastating right. for them. I mean, we're course, talking yeah, of course all it would be. the ground, sobbing, devastated. Ugh. So we discovered by accident after the Tubbs fire in Santa Rosa, California, that our dogs can find cremains in a burned-out home. Wow. And um, just... One man whose mom and dad, he hadn't gotten them scattered for their wishes, had gone to an archaeologist and said, can you help me with this? And the archaeologist said, I don't know. Let me ask. He went to an archaeologist we work with all the time. They said, call ICF. This is what they do. And I went into that man's home. The Saturday I had been up looking for victims of the fire with my dog called him when they turned us loose Saturday evening and said, I can be there tomorrow morning. I was there. 
Within two minutes, Piper had found his mom and dad's cremains. And we, it's kind of an anecdotal story a little bit. Um, I hadn't taken a trowel with me. I, I didn't have a shovel. I didn't have anything except plastic bags. I had Ziploc bags. <clears throat> and um, his wife goes, wait a minute, runs out to their melted garbage can, comes back with a tuna fish can from her lunch the day before the fire. And we recovered mom and dad into Ziploc bags using a tuna fish can. And well, that man's life changed. Yeah. He would have lived with knowing he hadn't gotten his mom and dad scattered where they wanted to be and they were in a toxic dump. Um, he That would have affected his life for the rest of his life. I'm very glad that you can spare him that and, and others like him. Yeah, the campfire, we planned on two three-day rotations up there. We did five. Uh, plus an extra day. Uh, we worked 184 homes looking for, I think it was 252 sets of cremains. Now, a set of cremains went everything from a full set of cremains, 8 to 10 pounds, to a tablespoon um, in, a, in a little keepsake urn. And of oh, that boy. 252, we found 215. That's incredible. <laughs> it was amazing what these dogs could do. And we had, everything was volunteer. We had eight teams who worked off and on through that, through the entire you know, rotations. And we had over 60 archaeologists who volunteered their time to come yeah, out. I know some help. of them. Because <clears throat> what we did is the dogs would go out. They would get us into the area where the cremains were. And the archaeologists would come in and do what archaeologists do. They recovered. And it was yeah. just, it, I've had some of the archaeologists say it's the most meaningful work that they have done in their lives. It was pretty yeah, amazing. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, the families were so oh. happy and so relieved of course. to get their loved oh, ones back. that's incredible. Yep. Oh. And even with well. the ones that we couldn't find, at least the families knew that they had tried. It depends on how the, ha how the house collapses. I mean, right, you think course. about a roof coming down and hitting that urn and shattering yeah, it and just literally spraying, you know, the ashes. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And the dogs oh, would go in yikes. and they'd go, whoa, they're sent everywhere, but they couldn't pinpoint anything. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. But also no. <laughs> yeah. And, and we would explain to people that, you know, this isn't a hundred percent thing. We we cannot guarantee, but we can guarantee that we will try. Yeah. So nothing is ever a hundred percent, ever. Yeah. yeah. Except for how wonderful dogs are, that's a thousand percent. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, thank you so much. This this has been really great. Um, thank you for for agreeing to talk with us and for for sharing those stories. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad that we uh, that we ran into you at the at the SCA conference. That was great. I am too. This is great. This is really great. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you again to Lynn for an amazing interview. I had so much fun learning about what you do and thank you listeners for listening and supporting us. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ear soon with new episodes, which you can find on Apple podcasts, SoundCloud, Google play, and wherever else you get those pods. Yep. And you can help us out in a big way by leaving reviews and stars 
at all those places. Yeah. And you can find us on Facebook at The Dirt Podcast, on Twitter at at Dirt Podcast, and on Instagram <laughs> at, at The Dirt Pod. All of that <laughs> is together on our website, thedirtpod.com. Email us at thedirtpodcast at gmail.com. And we put out extra bonus content for our Patreon subscribers. You can get access to bonus goodies like video content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash thedirtpodcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. 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 Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at arcpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.